emotional freedom gives us that that opening, that invitation to making larger and more genuine connections. And the price of that is, or the reward of that is huge. The price of that is sharing ourselves. The Happy Healthy Human podcast will help you build your happy, healthy life. Your host, Paul Leviton, is a board-licensed health and wellness coach, nutrition coach, personal trainer, and behavior change specialist with over 10 years of experience helping people create positive life change. Each week, he discusses topics that will help you understand yourself, why you do the things you do, and how to take steps to create the life of your dreams. He talks with experts from therapists to addictions counselors, coaches, trainers, CEOs, financial planners, and more. If you've ever wondered how can you become the best, happiest, healthiest version of yourself, you've come to the right place. Today, my guest is Joseph Bennett. Joseph is dedicated and driven to help others achieve freedom. Freedom from worry, from overwhelm, self-doubt, addictions, and freedom from living an unlived life. So just from that, you can hear why I wanted to have Joseph on the show. I met Joseph when I was actually invited on his podcast, which is called Waiting for Permission, which I have linked to the, in the show notes. And the concept of waiting for permission stood out to me immediately when he invited me on. And it's something that we dig into in this episode, as well as topics like using improv for personal growth, the power and skill of being an empathetic listener, and the freedom that comes from getting in control of your finances. Joseph is also an author who actually released his newest book today, the day that this podcast is released. So if you're hearing this, no matter what day it is, Joseph's book, When in Doubt, is now available. And you can head to Amazon or wherever books are sold to grab your copy, or just go to the link in the show notes and check it out. This is a wide-ranging conversation, which is just the type I love to have. So please enjoy my conversation with Joseph Bennett. How do you define freedom? Oh, that's such a beautiful opening question. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. I am looking at freedom as an expression of ourselves where we can give ourselves permission. I'm plugging that because you know that's the name of our podcast. Are you waiting for permission? Giving ourselves permission to creatively express and emotionally express ourselves as well as the freedom to walk away from some of the addictions and some of the excuses and some of the really, really toxic thoughts that some of us have. So lots. Yeah, lots I appreciate there. that. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. And I definitely want to talk about, um, we're going to talk about permission specifically a, a little bit. I have that written down. But the three things that you kind of hinted at there's the uh freedom for creative expression emotional expression and the freedom to walk away i mm. like i like those three things as each one as a standalone so first can you like what do you mean is the difference between creative freedom and emotional freedom so somebody may you know have a yearning or a desire paul to want to 
do a solo theater piece or write their story or publish their book, right? So that creative freedom that a lot of us get stilted or stopped or just halt in place of why me or nobody is interested in my story or the world does not need another painting. So that creative freedom, freedom of giving ourselves that and then emotional freedom, oh brother, that's a whole podcast in and of itself, right? Emotional freedom, the giving ourselves what looks like some real grace and kindness to feel our feelings, which as men are not necessarily um, geared to do or cultured to do, right? And to feel our feelings, to share what it is that that's what's going on with us in an honest and true way, that's huge and I don't know many of us that are running around doing that, right? Many of us are much more habituated, Paul, to, you know, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. What's new? Oh, same old, same old, right? Like those are the conversations that a lot of us are having day in and day out. And <clears throat> emotional freedom gives us that, that opening, that invitation to making larger and more genuine connections. And the price of that is, or the reward of that is huge. The price of that is sharing ourselves. I'd like you to, to talk a little bit more about that, the, the price, because I feel like exactly like you just said, we have these surface level conversations, right? Oh, how are you? Ah, you know, good. Ah, it's mm. going. And everyone, I think, feels at least to my understanding, like no one likes those conversations. We all know that they're, they're more or less useless and they're just time fillers. And they're just, we know that when someone says, how are you doing? I say, ah, it's, it's going that like, I no no information was actually exchanged mm. there. And yet those are 90% of the conversations that we have. So why do you feel that it's so hard for us to get deeper and to actually express ourselves and have conversations that actually go somewhere? Hmm. I don't know. What comes top of mind when you ask that question is that we tell ourselves the story that the other person doesn't care. They don't really want to hear that my mother is dying or they don't really want to know that my job is a piece of shit or they don't really want to know that I just got my credit card bill and I had a panic attack, right? So we tell ourselves that people don't care and that it's so much safer to just go with the mundane, to go with what everybody else is saying, right? You quoted 90% of the people are walking around with this story, this conversation. So wouldn't we just be safer and isn't it easier to just be part of that 90%? So yeah, big conversation. Yeah. And staying in safety, I think is the, the big thing there. And that is our mm -hmm. natural human inclination is to always like you said stay with the herd stay with the pack right mm. if 99% of people are doing something then that must be the right thing to do so that when we now coming back to freedom it seems like that is what we're trying to ultimately free ourselves from as well mm. uh, and one of the ways that we can do this super simple for your listeners to do this is when we're in those conversations where we're just talking about the mundane, where we're talking about the, the normal, quote unquote, 
I'm going to ask your listeners to ask this question to whomever they're speaking to. And the question is, so what are you passionate about these days? Because right? it may not be our work. It may not be our family. It may not be you know, how we're spending most of our time. But most of us, God willing, Paul, are passionate about something. And when we can begin a conversation there, it opens up all kinds of doors for us to begin to explore and connect. But here's the caveat. When your listener, when any of us say, hey, what are you passionate about? Then we need to listen to the answer. Like really fully show up and give ourselves the freedom to be an amazing listener. Be the best listener that you know. Right? And that's how we build connections, right? To acknowledge somebody, to give them our attention, it's priceless. I, I love that so much as a, as a tool for anyone listening. That, that question is so powerful, right? What are you passionate about? What are you enjoying right now? And mm. I, it's, it's funny yeah. because when I was younger and I was uh, going out to a lot of bars and doing that, you know, living that, that era of my life where, you know, we're going out to happy hours and you're, you're just meeting people and you're doing that kind of stuff. I got tired of the same, hey, what's your name? What do you do for work? Those, those were the questions that we were always asking. And I started to ask people exactly that question. Hey, what are you, what are you doing these days that you enjoy? What are you passionate mm. about? Tell me something that's not work. And it's, it's a, for those listening, the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing this is because it's not just a, a tool that works for, for like you. It also helps. It makes you more likable. People remember you better. So you, it, this is like something that helps you in life in terms of networking, in terms of just being a more well-rounded person, because if someone goes to a bar or a cocktail hour or a, a friend's party or something like that and meets 15 people and 14 of them have a conversation of what do you, who, who, what's your name? What do you do? Where do you live? And then for the 15th mm. person, it's what are you passionate about? What are you doing that lights you up? What are you doing that makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning? Who do you think that they're going to remember in that experience right mm -hmm. you're going to be the person that stood out to them that, mm -hmm. that that's why people like you and that's why people you know people go oh you know like i liked talking to that guy i don't know why i just enjoyed that conversation more and it's because you're asking them about things about themselves and then to your point joseph you're listening and that was something i wanted to actually bring up with you it's not just asking the questions it's then listening so how do we become better listeners mm -hmm. oh man how did you know that that's something that I'm so freaking passionate about, dude? Um, <clears throat> so in no particular order, one of the ways that we come, become better listeners is taking an improv class. So I've, I've been teaching improv for years and years here in central Mexico. And um, listening is not the same as waiting for your turn to speak, right? Most of us are listening just enough so we can get just enough information so that we have something witty or smart or funny to say after, the, after that person is done. What I invite in, and which many, many improv actors and others, public speaking coaches and, and coaches invite in, is to be really, truly present. Because what screws us up a little bit is we're not trusting ourselves enough that when that person finishes speaking, we're going to have something interesting to say or anything to say, right? We feel like we're going to go blank. So we start rehearsing in our heads. 
So what I invite in is trusting ourselves that we're going to have something to say. So one of the improv games that, that we play is, oh, how do I explain it in a really quick way, Paul? So, you know, you're throwing a ball around in a circle. You have a bunch of players and one person says a word. Paul, go ahead and say a word. Any word? Potato. Potato. So potato ends in the letter Oh. Oh. So when you throw the ball to that person, their next word is going to start with O. So what that teaches us is you can't be in your head at all, right? You can only be fully present to Paul saying his word and throwing his ball. And I'm going to trust that when I catch that, I'm going to have something like obvious. Starts with an O. That's my word. Ends in an S. I throw the ball to the next person. So it just... It helps us to fully show up 110%, and we're not taught that outside of school, where, where we're taught it in a very regimented, not free-flowing, not form, not freedom, right? There's not a lot of freedom in most schools, uh, unless you go to a certain charter school or whatever. I did not. I went to very harsh, strict Roman Catholic schools for a long time. Um, so that games like that, classes like that can really help us to become listeners. And, you know, I'm a big fan also of telling the truth. So when you're at that happy hour or you're at that cocktail party, you're at that networking thing and somebody says, what's new? You tell them the truth. I'm, uh, I'm working on trying to be a better listener. Like, that's what I'm working on. My news resolution or my goal for the spring or my 90-day goal is to be a better listener. You know, when we tell the truth, then now we're like getting other people enrolled in our goals. So those are the top two things that come to mind is being a better listener. Um, <clears throat> I was trained as a listener because I was a psychiatric social worker for a long time in a locked unit, a locked adult unit, and kind of had to listen really well right so how do we get out of our head and show up fully to that person or those people standing in front of us talking <clears throat> we get out of our head and we just listen right and we work on it it's a muscle as a fitness guru right you understand this metaphor it is a muscle we build the bicep poco a poco little by little we build our listening ability our listening muscle the same way Little by little. Today, I'm going to be 1% better than I was yesterday. 100%. I, I, it's funny, as you were speaking, the, the, the conclusion that I was like coming to in my head right before you made that last point was exactly that. Oh, it's just like a muscle. This is exactly what we have to do. It's, it, it's funny. I say a lot on the show, you know, everything is everything. Everything is the same. And, you know, we could think of listening and exercise is two different things, but they're not, we need to strategically practice mm. each thing and we get better at what we focus on. And often people think inherently they're like, well, I should, I can hear so I can listen, right? It's the same thing as mm. I can, mm. I can walk so I can run, I can exercise, you know, because I can go to the gym. That means I know what I'm doing what, when I'm lifting weights, but that's not true. You, we, as you said, we were never taught this stuff. We were never, you know, active listening skills. I kind of ha came about this the same way as uh, my training as a, a health and wellness coach and thinking that it was going to be a lot about health and wellness. But in reality, it was a lot of, 
motivational interviewing and cognitive behavioral therapy and listening, listening skills. And how do you get people to speak to you and help them to find the solution themselves? And I think that's what a lot of this comes down to, because as you were saying Mm. er, er, before, you know, a lot of times when we're listening, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes here, listening, we're really just seeking to wait for our turn to speak so that we can make our point and look better Mm. or something like that. Mm. But the thing is that people don't listen. The other person is doing the same thing to you. And that's why we know that if, you know, in psychology and and Mm. therapy and all these different things, the answer is to let the person come to the own, their own answer themselves. You can, a therapist can't give you the answer. A coach can't give you the answer, even if they know the answer, right? Even if I know the answer for my client, I know what exactly what they need. I know that they'll be much better served if I allow them to talk their way through it and come to that conclusion themselves because something that comes from within us is much more potent than something that someone tells us to do or someone orders us to do. And, you know, when you were talking about that, that those improv games, I think that that is what that allows you to do is to like not be so worried about what everyone else is doing or what you're yeah, doing in yeah, response yeah. to them and just mm-hmm. giving some grace and some freedom and that lands you in a place where you can actually have the space to come to the answer and comes back to freedom. Like we said in the beginning, it all kind of loops back into each other. Thank you. Another thing that comes to mind, if, if your listeners, there's that word again, really want to become better listeners, which I wholeheartedly support because there is nothing that validates each other than listening to each other. So if your listener wanted to do that and build this skill, just have a listening partner. You sit down facing each other or on Zoom or on the telephone. You sit down and one person gets to speak for 60 to 90 seconds. They can tell any story. They can tell you the story of how they bought salt that morning and who was in front of them in the line, right? The story doesn't matter. You speak for 60 to 90 seconds and then you stop. And then the other person is invited to repeat back as much as they can, word for word, right? And you build on that. Maybe you start at 30 seconds, you build on that, and you build on that, and you build on that with the intention of, I'm going to become a better listener and see where that leads, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's really cool again because i'm always relating this back to for people listening like there's a rhyme and a reason behind all of this Mm. what you just said this is not like some airy fairy like oh just be a better listener Mm -hmm. this is like this will make you better at life yeah you do sales i guarantee you you will make more sales when you become a better listener if you're trying to you know court a a young guy or girl or whatever you're you're after i guarantee you the next date (laughs) you're on when you start listening better and talking less you're going to have better results when you go again, go to family, whatever it is, like people want to be listened to and to be mm. heard. And this skill transfers into so many areas, you know, as in, in sales, they teach you to, you know, talk less and listen more. You want to, the, the more you can get your prospect talking, the better chance you have mm. of closing a sale. And the, the salesperson who is regurgitating quote unquote value, well, my product does X, Y, and Z, and you'll get this, this, and that. It's like, that's the person who's not going to close the sale. But the person who, who says, hey, tell me more about that. 
you know, when I'm doing sales and I'm mm-hmm. talking, I'm learning more about the 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 woman's daughter or her or her husband or the car troubles that she had. Like that's getting me closer to a sale. It doesn't feel like it in mm-hmm. the moment. It's like, well, I'm I'm selling I'm selling machine parts. What does that have to do with Susie's soccer practice last Tuesday? But it has everything to do because people like people who they can connect with, and connection is a thing that you. It's a skill again, just like you just said. It's a muscle that we can build, and it's so valuable. But people just take it for granted because they feel like, again, because we talk, because everyone talks and everyone listens. That you know, because we have social media, because we 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 are connected, quote unquote, that we actually are building hmm. connections. And I think that there's a big difference uh, hmm. between the two. But I'm and and I really like that again. You brought up that improv, and I'm interested to know because I do think improv is such a cool tool and I've done improv classes um, and things like that, again, for my communication skills, but I'm wondering how you got started in that area to start to make that transition. As you were saying before, you were you know, in a hospital setting and then now you're teaching improv and how, mm. how did that come about? It started way back when, probably before you were even born. I was in 10th grade and I went to a really fantastic high school. It was actually a vocational high school. So there were many different shops, many different trades that you could learn. I happened to be in the wrong one. I chose to be in carpentry. That was not a good fit for me. And there was an announcement that came over the intercom. I don't know if you're young enough to remember that they used to do announcements on the intercom in school. And there was an announcement for an audition for Flowers for Algernon, a play. And I auditioned and I got a part and I ended up switching to theater and studied with Peter Rosacker for a number of years. And improv was my very favorite part of the entire training and um, did it here and there once in a while, a little bit, I knew workshops and things and then moved to Mexico to San Miguel de Allende. And it's a huge artist colony, but there was no improv at all. And I kept telling my husband, Eli, I really want to do improv. I want to study something. I want to be part of a troupe. I want to play. And after a couple of years, he finally turned to me, sickened, and said, I'm tired of hearing you, and I think you're going to have to start something yourself. And I was so wet behind the ears, Paul, that I said to him, and I quote, I don't even know how to spell improv. Like, does it have an E on the end? I'm not sure. Like, I'm so, like, I don't know anything. But I put a notice out on an electronic bulletin board. It was on a Yahoo group specific to this town. And 18 people showed up. And many of us formed a troupe. And that troupe last week has just celebrated 13 years together. It's called the Improv People. And there's classes and performances and workshops and yada, yada. So, um, but leaving the hospital and everything, that was a whole different, unrelated um, adventure. But when I left Wilmington, Delaware and moved to San Diego, I was like, I've got to get out of mental health. I'm done. So I moved to San Diego and started cleaning houses. And talk about a burst to your ego that really affected me. But it gave me all this freedom. Circle back around to that. I had been working 64 hours a week at two different jobs in Delaware and moved to San Diego and started working three hours a day and had all of this freedom. And that was priceless. And I don't know how many of your listeners are giving themselves that kind of out, right? 
mean, I know the great resignation is happening now, but how many of your listeners are really evaluating what is serving them and what is not serving them? And then how tightly are they holding on to their identity? How tightly are they holding on to that career, those 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week jobs? Um, and where is that leading? Where is the freedom? Where is the permission? Yeah, I, I think that one is super cool, you know, that your your journey and it's always, you know, people, I think, hear stories like that of like, oh, well, you know, that must be nice to just be able to quit your job or do something. But it's like, it's, it's not easy. And, but the thing is that, again, what you get on the other side of that is that that freedom. And it's funny, I've been thinking about this a lot. I heard a story on a podcast one time. Um, it was basically like, you know, a guy, he, he was basically saying, you know, how many friends do you have that you think you could let you crash on their, at their house on, on the couch for a week? Like if you had to, like if you went on Facebook, if you went like how many, probably like 40, 50 people or something like that. There's wow. if you, if, if you were down on your luck, like they would let you crash, you know, between family, between friends, friends from high school, people you haven't seen, like you could, you know, at least 20 people or something like that. Mm -hmm. So if you had 20 people, that will let you crash for a week. That's 20 weeks. And then you go back to person one at the end of that. And he's like, so in reality, even you, yeah, even if you lost everything, you'd be fine. And I also, you know, living in New York City for a long time, I always used to see the guys on the train, right, doing it, some dancing, some playing music, some just panhandling. They would come through and they would get, you know, in a train car, right, a single train car, if you're doing literally nothing, Right, right, just just begging, they'd probably get three to five dollars. If they were selling candy or dancing or something like that, might get ten bucks. Now, one one stop on the on the New York City subway takes about forty five seconds. So, if you just made three to five dollars in less than a minute, and you do that for sixty minutes, you're making a hundred to one hundred fifty dollars an hour as a panhandler in New York City, right? And now, if you work an eight hour day, you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year as a panhandler. Same thing, sitting on a, on a busy corner in Hollywood Boulevard or something like that. So all of these things of what we feel like we have to do to maintain some level of like status or, you know, I recently moved to Austin, Texas. They have the guys who drive those little pedicabs around. And I'm like, those guys got to be making good money. They're taking Venmo and, and PayPal now. So it's just <laughs> we have these ideas, right, about like what we have to do. And it's like, in reality, uh, we think we have to stick to this 40 hour work week because it's safe and it's secure. But it's like you can figure out a lot of things if you want to and people and and once i had kind of understood that it's like as bad as things can go everything is figure outable but you have to be willing to take some sort of a risk and i think this kind of loops back to this is what i wanted to talk to you about the concept of when is it okay to take that risk and are we as your show is called waiting for permission. So what is it that people are waiting for? You know, what is the permission that we get to take that next step? Can I say I don't know? Because every person's story is different, right? Every person's chains or prison is completely different for them. But there is something that shows up over and over and over again in my coaching with my clients. And that is that a big dream killer, this is not an idea unique to me, but it's has certainly shown up for me. The big dream killer is debt. So if you want to create something different in your life, if you want to have more creative freedom, if you want to have more ex expression in your life or, you know, go travel as you and your girlfriend have done so much of um, being committed to getting out of debt 
allows for so much more freedom. And that's why when I left Delaware and moved to San Diego, I was so committed to that. I would do anything, shopping at the 99 cent store and letting go of my car and, you know, sending, I think I sent an extra $6 every month to my student loan payment because I wanted to pay it off early, which I was able to do. So if there was one step that I want to leave your listeners with, it would be to be so committed to not having any debt at all. And once you get out of debt, remaining there. Because debt is the big dream killer. And being debt free allows for so much more freedom. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of layer on top of that. I think please, that it, please. Yeah, I think that it's being being debt free. I've got debt anchors so many people down. But I think that beyond that, it's just an understanding or a level of financial literacy. And it's interesting that you brought this up. Because when I started, really, this started for me during COVID. Because I when COVID started, I was working as a personal trainer and managing a gym full time and then living in Brooklyn and mm-hmm. the gym shut down. And I remember like March, 2020, like April, first week, April, 2020, when they were like, okay, shelter at home. And it was one from two weeks to like two months. And I just was like looking at things and going like, I can see a world where gyms never reopen. Like this was prime, like COVID <laughs> is ravaging the world. People are dying. People are wearing masks and gloves to go grocery shopping. Like people don't want to be near any other people. Like when are gyms ever going to be a thing again? There's going to be, they're dirty. They're disgusting. People are sweating. People are breathing <laughs> hard. Like I could just, you know, in my head, I just saw a world. I'm like, okay, like my, the way I've been making my living for the last seven years is gone now. And I have to figure something else out. So I, in that time, I wasn't working. I dove heavily into uh, finance books and learning about different avenues, learning about investing, learning about real estate, learning about debt, learning about these things. And eventually, fast forward a couple months, you know, gyms did reopen. I started my own business. Things changed. But the knowledge that I gained there is so helpful because it allowed me to be more confident in what I do. Because as, as you said, I have an understanding around money and debt and what I actually need to survive and to live. You know, a big part of me traveling for a year was I understood what are my actual costs of living and what do I actually need to get by if I have to scale back and make less money? Am I going to go into debt for that? Or am I just going to be making less money, but still having enough to get by? And so many people, I think, are afraid of money, afraid to talk about money, afraid to learn about money because they think it's so complicated. And going back to what we're just talking about, all of these analogies for each other, it's the same thing as exercise. It's the same thing as listening. It's a skill that can be learned. But if we don't, it, as you said, shackles us down. And when we learn about it, it can be freeing because not that it gives you more money but it gives you the understanding of what do i actually need to be doing with this money and i know that you have been uh starting a a course where you actually help people have a better relationship with money so i'm wondering what what does that look like to you what is a a better relationship with money and what what are some of the things that you're teaching people uh in in your course What I'm most interested in is in every area of our life, whether it's money or otherwise, is the stories that we're telling ourselves, right? 
Are we telling ourselves the story that this is difficult, that money is hard, that I don't understand it, that it's safer and more sane to bury our head in the sand over this, right? That's a pretty common thing. You know, um, I read this brilliant book, and I'm not going to be able to, Your Money or Your Life. And Joe Dominguez, who was one of the co-authors, he used to start his seminars by picking out a guy in the audience and pointing to him and saying, how big is yours? Right? And the audience would be like, whoa, what? And he's like, how big is yours? And his question actually was, how big is your salary? Right? And we don't talk about those things. We don't have those kind of conversations. We don't give ourselves the freedom to talk about money with our friends or our family and sometimes even our spouses. Right? Um, so that's what I like to look at is what is the story that we're telling ourselves and is that story serving us? Super simple. Is that story serving us? If I tell myself that I will never get out of debt, is that serving me in the long run? And I come back to over and over and over again. It's a beautiful quote by Sean Patrick Flannery. I actually have it on my business card right in the center. And it says, do something today that your future self will thank you for. So looking at money, looking at getting out of debt, the financial literacy that you taught yourself over COVID, that's not necessarily for today. Right today, I have you know twenty five dollars in my wallet, so I'll be okay. I can go to the grocery store and buy myself a tortilla or whatever. But what can you do today that your future self will thank you for? I think that's so powerful, and it's it is analogous, I think, Paul, to go into the gym. Right? We don't necessarily go to the gym and work on our bicep for today, you know, or have better cardio for today. It's who do I want to be when I'm 75 or 95, right? I want to be healthy then, so I'm willing to do the pain or the difficulty or the reps today so that I can be healthier tomorrow or into the future. It's the same kind of thing with money. Do something today that your future self will thank you for. One of my best friends, she has been telling herself this story. I've known her for 40 years, so she's like 14 years old. And she's been telling herself, I have no money. This is hard. I will never get out of debt. And um, she's not alone in that story, right? It's super, super painful for a lot of us. We don't talk to each other about it. And... Um, it gets really scary for a lot of us, and it's one of the number one reasons, next to health crisis, that we end up tossing and turning at night, worrying about money, worrying about health. And I didn't want to be that person, so that's why I got out of debt when I was 30 and have been debt-free for the last 26 years. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's interesting, again, analogies, right? Everything is an analogy for everything. And everything you just said is an analogy for for exercise. But the, what you just said about stories, right? Two things really pinged in my head. One, I actually had a, a, a guest on. I actually, I can't remember. It was like two years ago now. His name was Chris. I, I, I'll tag it in the show notes. But his, okay. the, the, uh, the episode was called like, Oh, the stories we tell. That's his company. And he had a three question framework to to start to rewrite your your mindset on anything and it was akin to what you just said the question one is what is the story that i'm telling question two is is this story serving me and then question three is 
can I tell myself a better story? Mm. And those three mm. questions in, in, in any, I haven't found a place where this does not apply. And it will just help you in what, what is the story I'm telling? And if you take that and uh, apply it to the, the, your friend, that woman, right? What, what was it? I, I'm always going to be poor. I don't have enough. I'm always going to be uh, in debt. And it's like, what if you just flip those? What if the story was, I do have enough. I'm not always going to be in debt. And I, I, I'm not poor right now. So it's like, but, but I am poor. I only have $5. But someone out there only has five mm. cents. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm never going to have enough because I haven't had enough for the last 40 years. Well, the, you know, the last 40 years doesn't dictate the next 40 years, right? Mm. I don't have enough. Well, what is enough? You know, people get by with, with a lot of things. It's, uh, you know, it's this whole understanding that the, the frameworks, the stories are within us and we get to decide. We don't get to decide the facts. We don't get to decide, again, the number of dollars in my bank account. I can't think that up. What I can decide is, is that enough? As you said, can I, you know, for someone who is used to eating out $500 meals, $100 in their bank account is not enough because they're going to starve in two days. But for someone who's been living on pennies and now they get $100, that's, that's the biggest thing in the world. The, mm. the number didn't change. It is the story that we are telling ourselves around that number. And again, that goes not just with money, but with everything that we're doing, circling all the way back to freedom. And it's, it's a way that we can start to look at things differently. And I'm curious, Joseph, if you have any stories that come to mind of, of times where it's not what the situation that changed, but the way you looked at it changed, and then that changed the situation. Hmm. Yes. Can I acknowledge you first? Can I take a moment to acknowledge you? Because you must be an impeccable freaking listener to remember a conversation with Chris two years ago, and A, you remember the name of his business, and B, you remember the three questions that he's asking in his business to help us change that framework. So I applaud you, Paul, for, for that kind of memory and for that kind of listening. So uh, thank you for being that person and that kind of person. That's well, I've been, huge. I've been practicing my listening skills, you know, just like you, just like you said. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I would say that the story that I was telling myself was around money, if we can stick with that topic. And um, I was the guy tossing and turning at night, super worried, super scared. I had some debt. I was living in San Diego. I didn't have anybody to rely on. My family doesn't come from money. Um, I didn't have anybody to rely on that I could call up and say, hey, can you pay my rent this month? It was all on me. I had changed careers, not changed careers, that's a lie. I had left my career and didn't have another one to go to. So I started actually what changed my life forever for the better was I had a conversation with a woman I was working with and she said something to me. She said, you know, I'm a coach. This was in 2000. No, this was in 1997. Coaching was not a thing, but it was not part of the vernacular. Nobody was talking about it casually or otherwise. And I said, I don't know what that is. And she said, how about if we have a session together and I'll show you what it is. And we worked together every week for a year and a half with Leslie Neef. And, um, and that's really what helped me to transform my story about what was possible, what was impossible, what I was capable of, what I was incapable of. 
And um, that that's what helped me. I don't know that I could have come to it by myself. I mean, one of my favorite quotes or favorite philosophies is, it takes a village. And Leslie was definitely part of my village in helping me to look at freaking story that I was telling myself about being in debt and being hungry and you know this isn't working um, I transformed that with her help and uh, and if your listeners are struggling with any of this I highly recommend that they reach out to a mentor or a coach or a therapist or even an accountability buddy you know we started talking earlier about that person you sit down with for 30 60 or 90 seconds and you tell them a story and you go back and forth about how well you're listening you can also have an accountability partner about you know how you want to change your life and what your goals are and what's what's going on and what's getting in the way that can also work but if you don't have that person in your life hire that person it's that yeah. simple yeah, 100%. I've done entire episodes in this uh, about this in the past about the, the power of coaching and why I think it's such an important tool. And it, it's exactly that, right? I always say, I think people think because I am a coach that I'm just, you know, that that's, of course, you're going to believe in coaching, but it's, it's exactly what you said. You know, it takes a village. My other mm. favorite, favorite uh, quotes are, you know, it, it, a rising tide raises all ships and you can't read the label from inside the jar. Right. So yes, do we have the ability, the inherent capacity to figure this stuff out on our own? Yeah, theoretically, everyone could figure it out. And there's nothing special about mm -hmm. me or you or anyone else. We are all humans with the same brain. But when when you look at it things that way, you're not taking into account the realities of the situation. And the realities are that you have your own life to deal with, right? I always, you know, when I was in the gym as a personal trainer, because people would always say, it's like, well, why would I train you? Why would I pay you to train me when I could just mm -hmm. learn online? I can learn on YouTube or something like that. I'm like, yeah, you can. Why do you, pay, why do you pay a plumber? Why do you pay a mechanic? Because they have knowledge and they save you time and they make it happen, right? How many times have you had a, a project that you say you're going to get to, you say you're going to get to, you say you're going to get to, but you never do it. And with building a, uh, re rebuilding an old car that's sitting in your garage for 10 years, like, you know, whatever, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But this is your life that we're talking about. Hmm. This, you, you don't get a redo. You don't get to push this on. And that's what I think people are doing when they aren't taking the initiative. Yes. Hiring a coach or a therapist costs money. Yes. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. But again, it's what you said earlier. It's you're doing something today for the benefit of your future self. Hmm. And wow. that is something that unfortunately isn't free. You know, it's just, it's just the unfortunate reality of living in a capitalist society that things cost money. And, you know, that, and that's going back to what you were saying before about this is why it's so important to be debt free and to have an understanding of money and control over our money, because that allows you the leverage, the ability, the space, the capacity to invest in yourself, to hire a personal trainer, to hire a, a coach, to hire a mentor or a therapist or something like that. So, you know, don't think of it that way, I think. And I think that that can be a limiting and, you know, it's, it's the story that we tell, right? I don't, I can't afford this. I don't need this. Oh, if I were smart enough, I'd be able to do it on my own. But again, these are just stories that keep us stuck and keep us limited and i think that having an outside perspective and that's why joseph why i like having these conversations because someone could be thinking this but when they hear you and i talking about it they go oh yeah 
that makes sense. I'm not crazy. This is this is something, right? And you you asked me before we started recording what I wanted to get out of this conversation. And this is exactly it. This is why I have this podcast is just to have conversations like this so that people can hear these type of things, which as you said before, I don't think are talked about enough. And these are the type of things that I, I want to to bring up. So I'm curious when you think of that kind of stuff, you know, the, the stuff that's less talked about, but more important, is there anything, any message that you would want to get out there? Things that you feel like people just need to hear more of. <laughs> How much time do you have my friend? Uh, <clears throat> I will talk about one thing. First thing that comes top of mind. And I'm actually writing a book about this. It's going to come out in August. And it's trusting. I don't know how we have become so habituated to be distrustful. We distrust each other. We distrust our neighbors. We distrust our politicians. We distrust ourselves. And quick story, I was doing a breath workshop online during COVID and the teacher, she set something up, and, and I can never remember exactly what she said, but it was something like, ask yourself a question for the purpose of this workshop, and you may get the answer during this workshop. So I asked something about trust, and while I was, I was behind me here, laying on the living room floor, I had my pillows, I had my, my earplugs in, and about halfway through, I heard, in the center of trust, is you, T-R-U-S-T, the very center of trust is you. So I got out of the session, I, I wrote it down, but I went back. Um, and what I would leave with the listeners, if there was only one thing, it would be to build up the muscle of trusting ourselves. Trusting ourselves that we can get out of debt, trusting ourselves we can create more freedom in our lives, uh, emotionally and creatively, trusting ourselves that we make all the right decisions, trusting ourselves that we could bounce from couch to couch to couch for 20 to 40 weeks if we needed to. I am excited and interested in building that muscle. How can we trust ourselves? And, and you and your girlfriend just did this, right? You took off in like a Nissan Altima or something. Am I getting that right? <clears throat> the Acura TL, but 2005. Acura. Okay. Acura TL. You know, and you trusted yourself that you would figure it out. I don't know how much we're doing that for ourselves and for each other. Because we're very good at mistrusting Right? We got that down. We're, we're so good at that. Right? We could name a lot of things right now that we don't trust, right? Starting with our politicians. I just get interested in how sustainable is that? And can we look at the other side of the coin? And can we begin to trust? That's so interesting because it, the way you're describing that, I, trust is the perfect word for it, but it's what exactly what I teach and I just call confidence, self-confidence, right? You know, we talked about this on your podcast when I was a guest, but when I help people, it's with self-confidence. But to me, not self-confidence in how I look or anything, it's self-confidence in believing in myself mm. that I will be able to handle any mm. opposition or any problem that comes up. Right. So same exactly. Thing, yes. I can, it's the same thing, right? I can hop in my car and drive and quit my job and drive across the country with no plan because I trust myself. I'm confident in myself and my abilities that I will figure it out. 
I can, I can invest in myself, even if it's expensive, because I am confident that I will do something with that. I'm confident that I will learn enough. I'm confident I trust myself. So it's, it's the same, same meaning, different word, which I think is mm-hmm. really, yeah. really Semantics. interesting. And I think that that's, you know, it, it's, it's in the same way, like you just said, right? Like people will hear trust and think about it's trusting in others, right? That's, that's in the same way when we think about self-confidence, it's the, like self, self-confidence, but it's about how we appear to others, right? I'm confident in my appearance. I'm confident in my ability to show up at work or something like that. But that's not what I'm talking about. And that's not what you're talking about with trust. It's the trust in ourselves to have the ability to get things done. So I really, I really appreciate that. And we're definitely going to um, have to talk more about your book on the, the next time, maybe when you're getting ready to, to release it. We'll do another episode all about that. And, um, you've already given, you know, that last answer pretty much summed it up, but feel free to repeat anything that we've talked about on this episode already, or to come up with something completely new. But the last question that I ask all my guests is simply, if you had one action step, something that listeners can start doing right now, as soon as they take their headphones off and this episode ends to start living a happier, healthier life, what would it be? Um, I would recommend or invite picking up the pen and a blank journal and begin to write down our thoughts, our ideas, our plans, our dreams, our fears. Um, This is a practice that goes back generations, but I first learned it from Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way a few dozen years ago, and she calls it the morning pages. M-O-R-N-I-N-G, but you can also spell it with a U, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, and begin our day with that. How you spend your morning is how you spend your life, right? So not picking up the phone and not checking and scrolling and, you know, what's going on in the New York Times, any of that. Picking up the pen and connecting to yourself. What is it that you're dreaming of? What is it that you're afraid of? What is it that's ruminating around? And if you get stuck, simply go with the prompt. What I really want to say is, and you keep the pen moving, you don't look up from the page, what I really want to say is, and you write and you write and you write, and then the next day you do the same. That's what I would leave them with. And of course, I would recommend that on April 21st, they buy my book, When in Doubt, nearly 400 funny, insightful, and inspiring ideas for what to do when you're in doubt. That comes out on Amazon, in ebook, paperback, and hardback on April 21st of this year. Amazing. Well, I love that uh, that journal prompt is amazing. And uh, I will definitely, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, your Amazon or where they can find your book. Anywhere else, if, if people, I, I know the book is a great resource, but if people want to connect with you online or find out more about what you're doing, where can they find you on social media or elsewhere? Um, my website is best, josephbennett.org. And then I mostly do Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. But um, a good place to start is josephbennett.org. Amazing. Well, thank you, Joseph, so much for being here. I'll also include the link to your podcast where I was a guest in the show notes for anyone who wants to hear a slightly different conversation that we had. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much. That's all for this week. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show so you don't miss a beat. Support the show by sending this episode to a friend or leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Stay happy, stay healthy.